Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who will have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. Dan's guest this week is Joe Simmons, associate professor at the Wharton School of Business at the University of Pennsylvania. Simmons, who studies decision-making, describes the irrationality of sports betting. Okay, so we're sitting in this beautiful, uh, well-organized office <laughs> at the University of Pennsylvania, and I'm sitting with... Uh, this is Joe Simmons. Joe Simmons. And Joe, what, what do you do for a living? Uh, I'm an associate professor at the Wharton School. Yes, and uh, one of your papers that I like the most has to do with betting on sports. And I know very little about betting, but very little about sports, but yeah, your paper is mostly what I know about it. So what was this paper about? The paper is basically looking at uh, how sports bettors decide which team to bet on. And just for some context, when bettors go to bet on sporting events, they often have to take into account... Uh, what is called a point spread. So, for example, if you have a very good team facing a very bad team, um, bettors don't simply have to predict who's going to win. That's too easy. But they also have to take into account what is called a point spread. So the good team might be favored by, say, 14 points, and that means that what you're essentially betting So let's say on, we're talking about football? Let's say football. American football? Yeah, let's say American football. Okay. It could be basketball, but it, okay. it could also be American football. And then yeah. uh, you're saying it's not just about who would win, but whether the team who would win would win by more than the than the spread. So if, if there are right. two teams and one is expected to win by 14 That's right. points, mm-hmm. um, it, they really have to win by more than 14 points for them to win. That's right. And if the losing team loses by less than 14 points, it's as if the losing team won in terms of betting. That's exactly right. Okay. So, yeah, and we refer to the expected winner as the favorite and the expected loser as the underdog. Okay. And who sets this uh, spread? Uh, so, firms in Las Vegas set these spreads. And firms, like, you mean like uh, basements and bookies and uh, <laughs> like dodgy people? Well, I don't know if they're dodgy, but they, uh, they could be. But uh, basically, bookmaking firms, and um, they don't reveal exactly how they do this. Okay. But, um, so, there's an art to determining the spread, and everybody agrees on the spread? Yeah, there's a little bit of variation across casinos, but usually within a half point. So mostly everyone agrees. And my guess is that they use statistical models to develop the spread. Probably in the olden days they didn't, but I bet now they do. Okay, Um, so we have team A and team B, and mm -hmm. there's agreement on the spread. And now what did you study? So I basically study, well, which team do you bet on? Do you bet on the favorite or do you bet on the underdog and why? Okay, and And it's supposed to be if somebody who set the spread correctly, they should be, you should not care, you should... Exactly. So a lot of people think that the spreads are set uh, to balance the money, but that's actually not true. The, the money is not is not balanced across games. So casinos actually do have a stake in who wins in oh. some ways. But what the what the what the spread essentially does is it it turns the bet into a coin flip. So actually, favorites and underdogs are equally likely to win, sort of for each game. It's so very it's hard to beat the spread. <clears throat> okay. So so if you are rational and you look at this and you wanted to bet, you would basically throw a coin and just bet on... That, that's right. I mean, in some sense, because actually when you go to place a bet, you have to you, you also have to submit a fee. Yeah. If you're trying to just maximize wealth, let's say you don't... Stay away from gambling. Then you just shouldn't bet, yeah. Okay. Um, but, but a lot of people don't feel like that's what's happening when they're betting. So okay. it's not like they feel like they're betting on a coin flip. They actually feel pretty like confident. some skill. Yeah, they feel like they can, they can beat it for I sure. See. And then, um, so what do people mm. bid, bid more on? The losers on the, on the favorite or the... Underdog. Underdog. Yeah, they actually bet way more on the favorites. Way more means what? Uh, 
Well, I'd say basically for uh, we find that for 85% of the games, more than half the people bet on the favorite. So the majority well, bets on the favorite for most of the games. Well, and, and why is that? So we, we present a, a model of, uh, it's basically trying to understand the psychology by which people make this decision. But what, what happens when people go to make this decision is they form an intuition that essentially ignores the spread. So when they first look down at the two teams, favorite versus underdog, their intuition doesn't assess the point spread at all. Their intuition instead assesses, you know, which team is better. Okay. And usually it answers that question with the favorite's better. Uh-huh. And, um, and so they sort of start with that as a default. So, you know, their intuition is sort of screaming at them in some cases, especially Saying, when the favorite. Saying, team A, team A, yeah, team, team A. Yeah, team A, team A, exactly. Like, that's the team you should be choosing. And then you just don't adjust correctly. Exactly. So it's possible. I mean, you do take into account the spread. It's not that people are completely insensitive to it. But you can think of that as a default, right? So the default is that I'm going to pick the favorite. Now I'm going to pick it unless I talk myself out of it. I see. And, and mostly people don't talk themselves out of it. And mm-hmm. so... They might, maybe if the spread is really high, say 50 points, they can say, well, actually, this team's not even motivated to win by 50 points. But yeah. most of the time, we find that people don't do that, and they choose with their gut. I see. Basically. Now, does it matter if people are picking a team that they're actually fans of or not? Yes. Yeah, so that's a separate effect that's basically independent of this one. So I actually do have other research showing that people are optimistic about their favorite team. So they they're not only more likely to bet on favorites versus underdogs sort of across all games, but they also are more likely to bet on teams they like versus teams they dislike. But those two effects are independent. independent. Because I I always thought that from a portfolio perspective, you should always bid on a team that that you don't like. Yes. Because then you'll you'll be a little bit happy regardless of the outcome. Whereas if you bid on a team that you like, you'll be happy when they won and happy when you get the money, but uh, there'll be fewer... (laughs) You will not spread the happiness across all games. Yeah, so that's like an emotional hedge, basically. Yes. So, and in fact, I'm the only person I know who does that. Yeah. So I bet I I do when I place bets. I bet against my favorite team yeah. in order to in order to hedge emotionally. And when I tell that to other people, they think I'm crazy. Yes. Which which we don't know yet. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So why do you think people don't uh, do an emotional hedge? You know, that's interesting. One reaction I get when I tell people this is that somehow I'm being immoral (laughs) by betting against my team. Um, I do also think that people are genuinely optimistic. So it's not just that they're betting on their team because it feels good or they want to support their team or be loyal. They do genuinely believe their team has a better chance. That could be because they're selectively exposed to positive information. It's probably because they're motivated in how they're interpreting last week's result, right? So yeah. if, if I won, you know, that's that's diagnostic of my team. If we lost, oh, the Something ref. Something bad happened. Yeah. Yeah. So, right. so let me propose another theory and tell me what you think. Sure. So uh, what's true about sports game, which is not true about uh, gambles, is that you get to actually experience the game. Right. So could it be that if I gamble against my team, I never really get to be happy watching it. Because every time they do well, I'm a little happy and a little unhappy. And I need to be completely engaged in order to see the game. If you, you know, I don't care about sports. Mm-hmm. And when I watch a sporting event, I just have a hard time engaging. Yep. But I think if you're a fan and you're betting in the same direction, you might enjoy the game much more. So could it be that people are that are not in hedging emotionally are enjoying the game more? And as a consequence, they're paying the price at the end of the game. 
I think that's really interesting, and I think it's I think that's completely possible. I also think a lot of the just as a sports fan, I think a lot of the utility that comes from sporting events is the anticipation of watching the game, yeah. and there I I bet that ruins that a bit, mm-hmm. right? So be, because it's not in the same direction. I actually remember some study that Tversky did a while ago. It was just some random study in a paper where they just ask they they ask people to bet on different aspects of a game and so one bet that these people could take and these weren't even their favorite team but they could bet on the outcome being one team wins by seven or more or the other team wins by seven or more and Uh everyone hated that bet now they don't interpret it in the ways that we're talking about it right now but you can imagine that's not a fun game to watch where i'm just i'm sort of rooting for opposite outcomes Uh opposite extremes right and so people really didn't like that and so I think that's a really interesting hypothesis. Like, definitely worthy of <laughs> yeah. worthy of study. Really you know, interesting. I had, I had a funny night in the hotel uh, a while ago when I was somewhere in Europe, and I was flipping through channels. I couldn't sleep, and there was this basketball game with the trampoline. Have you ever seen this thing? Like, the place hmm. underneath the basket had a trampoline. So oh, you basically jump, and then you can really jump high and dunk. I see. And there was a team with red shirts and team with blue shirts, and I couldn't care less. And it wasn't even real basketball. <laughs> but in one minute. I wanted the blue to win over the red. Or the other way around, I can't remember. But it was really interesting how I needed, I, I, I interpreted this, I needed to see somebody winning for me to care about the game. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I couldn't, I couldn't care about it. And maybe gambling is like that. And huh. last question. Yeah. Uh, since you're studying gambling and sports, do you gamble on sports more or less? Uh, less. I, I'd say less. Like my research does not indicate that it's wise to gamble, <laughs> and if if I if I gamble, I I understand that it's be, it's for emotional reasons and not for monetary reasons. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely of Duke University. To further expand your understanding of dishonesty, irrationality, and other human quirks, go to danarielli.com. <laughs>